Good morning, everyone. It is my real privilege this morning to be bringing you the word from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I think we can all acknowledge that it's been a very exciting, um, April ended rather, on a, a very exciting note for us as a church. And there is definitely this real sense of excitement and anticipation around the season that God is leading us into. And we've been journeying in this book of 1 Corinthians for a while here with some, you know, breaks here and there. And I've been really challenged by the fact that, you know, God's timing is, is always just so on point, um, especially with the themes that we've been challenged in. And no less right now, you know, as we're coming to this time of adding a new pastor to our team, yet again, we just see, sure, God, your timing is really great when it comes to what's coming out of your word. And today, as you see, there's going to be no exception to that, and you're going to be spot on if you think, sure, I'm having a bit of deja vu with this passage. I'm sure we've done some of this before, because in the preceding chapters, absolutely, Paul has been addressing this very issue that's going to come up again today, where the people were were split into to factions because they were making men, not Christ, the center of their thinking, and was really having an impact on their unity as a body. Now, I'm sure you can all remember from school days, um, particularly sort of the preschool years, if you can remember that far back, that there was always those show-and-tell days where you got to bring objects from home and got to share something about that with the class. Well, today I've brought three, you know, objects with me as well, um, you know, two from home and one actually from my office. And I've brought them with to help you with some visual aids to make, I'm, I'm hoping today's message just come alive for you a bit more, make it a bit more personal. And I'm trusting that as you leave here today, one of these objects is going to just strike a chord with you and leave you with a personal challenge from the Lord. So either when you go, you're going to have an image of a milk bottle or a plant or a brick in your mind that is going to remind you of a a call to action or a word that God has spoken to you. And we're going to read right up front from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the whole chapter. And it's going to be on the screen, or if you've got your Bibles with you, you can open up. But I'm going to read that for us. It says there, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one of you says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? After all, what after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters, they have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hail, straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. 
It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, which is Aramaic for Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. So the first message this morning is going to be a message from a milk bottle. Now, I have got this really gorgeous nephew. His name is Colson, and he turned two years old on the 2nd of May. He's my youngest brother's child, and um, he, my brother sent me this beautiful little video. I love getting videos from my nephew. I'm that beautiful aunt that they all love, who always wants to see videos of the nephews. And I got this really cute video of Colson this week, and um they just come back from a, a little walk on the, on the beach, and they had their takeaway coffees with them in their hand. And the video is of little Colson asking if he can please have a baby Chino. And when they said okay, he just got so excited and jumped up and down and did like this little dance of joy, and it was just giggling away. And it was just so like cute because it was this little kid getting super excited over what is essentially frothed milk. Um, and, and it's really appropriate that as a toddler, all he gets is that milk. I totally get that. You know, maybe with a bit of cocoa on top or whatever it might be. But, you know, obviously he can't get the coffee that his parents are enjoying. But then I've got another nephew, my other brother. Um, his son, Josh, is 16 years old. Now, he has developed a real taste for coffee, just like his parents. And I think it really runs through our family. Um, and, and I can assure you that if I made Josh a baby Chino, even if it had chocolate sprinkles on top, I would get this teenage, like, swagger and dagger look from him because, like, he would not want the baby Chino. He would want the real deal, you know, the adult version. Now, how do you, does this relate to our, our text this morning? Well, when Paul addresses the, the church at Corinth, He's speaking to them as infants in Christ. And he does it in a way that's it's an admonishment to them. And in fact, he's calling them out for their spiritual immaturity. Now, every follower of Jesus begins as an infant. And that is natural and that is expected. And in 1 Peter 2.2, we read there that new believers, they urge, like, like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation Spiritual milk is absolutely necessary and important to stimulate growth. But that is meant to be just the starting point for us. We are meant to grow up to be eating solid food. And just as it's necessary for a baby to move on from pure milk to solids there, it is so true for us as well in our faith journey. Have you matured from accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to growing in maturity in him? 
to understanding the implications of the gospel to every area of your life. The author of Hebrews, he calls out a similar thing when he writes, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. And he concludes in a similar fashion to Paul by saying, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now, to remain an infant in the physical realm, that's not natural. And it's equally unnatural for us in the spiritual realm as well. And it's this immaturity that Paul calls the Corinthians out for. And it's really interesting to see what his measuring stick for this is. They were acting without evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. They were acting as worldly people, he says, mere men, not spiritual believers. And the evidence of this was seen in their jealousy and their quarreling over the superiority of their favorite preacher or pastor. And they were lining up behind their person and boasting in such a way that quarrels and divisions were happening in the church. There was no spirit of respect for or honoring of the different servants of God who the Lord had raised up to support his church. It was all about who was in what camp when it came to supporting their favorite you know, preacher or their favorite pastor, you know, talk over coffee in the cafe would have been something like, oh, you know, so who do you support? It would be, well, you know, I'm a Paul guy all the way. And and someone else could be like, how could you listen to Paul? That guy is so long-winded. Oh, my goodness, so boring. I am totally an Apollos girl. Far more entertaining and got much better dress sense. And you get the better, you know, that general idea there. But this behavior is behavior that Paul really calls out as immature. Because he tied spiritual maturity not to how fancy people talk when it comes to theology or what activities they were even involved in in the church. He's saying spiritual maturity is tied to character and attitude where there's evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit's presence and transforming power in the believer's lives. Our family, we don't become followers of Jesus to just come to church and to sit in a pew or a chair. We call to something that is so much more radical than that. We are only going to be mature and healthy as a church if we take seriously our growth as disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. And when we are rooted in our identity as a child of God, spiritual maturity is going to follow that. When our relationships, when our work, when the way we love, the way we treat others, when our ministry flows from this place of identity, that's when we're going to be living in the power of his spirit and not by our worldly nature. You know, the moment we come to faith in Jesus, we become a new person with a new nature. But learning to walk in that new nature requires a response from us. It's not all just up to God. His gift to us is salvation. But our response has to involve actively growing an understanding of the impact that this salvation has on every area of our lives. The message from the milk bottle is this. We've got to move on from milk to spiritual to solid food. The message from the milk bottle is this, is that we have to move from a confession of faith 
to outworking that faith in every area of our lives. The message from the milk bottle is that we need to move from operating out of our sinful, worldly natures to being filled with and controlled by His Holy Spirit. And the message from the milk bottle is that we need to move from being a believer in Jesus to being a disciple of Jesus. Have you started that journey into maturity or have you become stuck at the starting point and not moved on from the milk bottle? Are you doing the work of responding to God's grace in your life? Are you getting into God's word and allowing it to transform you? Are there healthy spiritual disciplines in place in your life that are helping you to grow closer to Jesus? Is the message from the milk bottle perhaps your take-home challenge today? And then if it is, how will you actively respond to that challenge? And is there someone that you could perhaps speak to who will hold you accountable for acting on that conviction? Do you need to find someone who can disciple you in your faith? Because the message from the milk bottle is we need to move on from milk to spiritual food. And then the message from the plant. And before going there, I just want to recall verse 5 where these words were written. What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Now, this call to spiritual maturity has been given And Paul now gives some really great words of truth to help them to readjust their thinking. And, you know, the scriptures teach us we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And here's some mind renewal that he's giving. He's saying when it comes to those who teach or lead in the church, just remember this thing about them, that they are servants. And the word that's used here is actually the one that's applied to table waiters. Now, if any of you have ever had a job as a waiter, you'll understand how very helpful this analogy is. Because the waiter is not the guest. The waiter is not even the person who made the food. Um, The waiter is not the host of the meal. The waiter is just the man or woman who serves you. And Paul is wanting the Corinthian believers to adjust their thinking so as not to elevate either himself or Apollos or, or Peter or whoever to a place or a pedestal that was not God's intention for them. He says, we just servants through whom you came to believe. In other words, we're not the ones who are your savior. We're not the source of your salvation. We're not the gospel or the Holy Spirit. We are not God. We are the servants of God. And it is his power that flows through us. We're just the channel. We're just the conduit of his grace. We deliver to you what God has provided. We serve as God directs us. And he then likens this to this lovely picture from agriculture, the message from a plant. And he says, I planted the seed and Apollos waters it, but God makes it grow. And looking at those verses there too, you know, growing a plant from seed, it can be a really lengthy process. And there are different people who are involved at different parts of the process often. You know, there are those who have the job of planting, and that's a very, very significant role. And there are those that have the job of nurturing and watering, again, a very significant role. Now, this plant in front of you, as I said, it's from my office. And just like a cat, this plant has got nine lives. 
Because if I had been solely responsible for caring for this plant, I can honestly tell you it would have died many times over. This plant has needed a team to survive. Both Manono, who serves on our maintenance team here um, and looks after our gardens, and Erna in the church office, they both need to be acknowledged as those who have brought this plant back from the brink um, on a few occasions. You know, I would just forget to water it or, you know, it would be sitting in the corner of the office and I'd forget it was even there. They had to help me be part of the process of caring for this plant. Once when I was on leave, Manono rescued it and gave me a good talking to when I came back. Um, and Erna's done the same. But ultimately I realized, and I have learned a lot now about the importance and care about nurturing this plant. But I also recognize that at the end of the day, there's something beautiful in this plant growing that, that only God is involved in. Um, it is his creative genius that is at work here in making this plant interact with its surroundings and grow. Our role in caring is super important, but ultimately God is at the source of this plant's growth. Now, how do you think about your different leaders in the body of Christ yet connect? How do you think about... Um, the, the pastors, the elders, the deacons, your life group leaders, others who serve in ministry with you, how do you think about the fruit of their lives? The message from the plant is this, is that when it comes to ministering together in the church, we are not in competition with one another, but we complement each other. And every single servant is needed and is equal. We've got one purpose that we're working towards. We've got different roles to play at different times, but all those roles are needed. There is a unity between us when we serve for one purpose. We each also have a necessary role to play, and we are rightly to honor another one another, to honor one another in that. But those roles are always going to be subordinate to the role of God. Our loyalty and devotion is not to one of God's servants, but it's to the Lord himself. And history abounds with stories where people were blindly devoted to strong and charismatic people. And these leaders became the focus of their devotion and their worship. And all manner of strife and envy and havoc and everything else wrecked people around them. And this can happen in the church too when we focus on being devoted to, you know, people over God. Jesus has always got to be the center for us. And we also, we're also not only partners with everyone else who is in, at work here in the church today, but also with all of those who have gone before and those who will come after us. We have to appreciate and honor all the work that has been done for the kingdom by those who have served this church in the past to bring us to the place where we are today. And as we faithfully serve in our roles, we will each be rewarded by the Lord for this. And it's got nothing to do with earning our salvation. That's done, completed, an amazing free gift of God's grace. But this passage teaches us that there is a reward given by God that he determines. And this idea for rewards for service occurs a number of times throughout the New Testament. For example, in the parable of the talents in Matthew, the returning master calls in each of his servants to get a report on what they've accomplished, and he rewards them appropriately. Romans 14.10 says this to us, You then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. 
And it's a great reminder for us that we work for God ultimately and not for men. And there's going to be a time of accountability before the Lord for the manner in which each of us have served him. So what about you? Here's some reflection questions from our plant here. Have you found your place of service in God's field? Is Jesus the focus of your devotion? And are you serving out of your love for him? Or have you perhaps allowed yourself to be devoted to people rather than to God? And if so, where has this caused you perhaps to speak poorly of others in comparison? Do you perhaps need to repent of a critical spirit or dishonoring words spoken about any of your leaders? Can you honor the work and ministry of those who have served faithfully in the past? And will you then honor the work and ministry of those who are to come? Is this message from a plan perhaps your take-home challenge today? And if so, how will you actively respond to it? Is there someone that you perhaps need to speak to who can hold you accountable for acting on this conviction? And then lastly, the message from a brick. Now, this passage definitely has got some mixed metaphors. And now Paul shifts his whole analogy to, to buildings and speaks about the church as God's building, if you remembered from earlier. When Mike and I were first married, we, we needed to make some minor alterations to our home, and we had a very limited budget right then. So we employed the services of a very budget builder. And he may have been cheap, but I can tell you so was the quality of his work. And we still have got the shower floor in our bathroom that doesn't drain well because his levels were off. And so the water pools in the corner of the one shower because the shower drainage is actually higher than that whole corner of the shower. And so every single night that I shower, I have to stand there and think of that dear gentleman as I'm trying to get the water in the corner, you know, into the drain. We even have a bit of a joke in our home around, you know, like a, you know, our little slang word. It won't be his name because I want to honour him, but it will be like, you know, um, let's face example, like, oh, you know, you pulled a Percy, you know, which would be slang for we've done something really shockingly. Anyway, 15 years later now, um, we did some some more renovations on our on our kitchen. So I've been waiting for this for so long, and this time. We chose someone who we had seen the quality of their work, and we could see that they were a good, solid builder. And while, yes, there's some finishing touches that I still have to add here and there, every single morning when I walk into my kitchen, I just smile with just such gratitude and such joy because it's been done well. And the builder did a really, really great job. Now, we're reminded in the scriptures that the church has one foundation, and that's Jesus Christ. And Paul was this wise expert builder of the Corinthian church by virtue of the fact that he started the work there in Corinth. He nurtured the church for its first sort of one and a half years. And then the church had a variety of builders, but they're all built on that one true foundation of Jesus Christ. And the same is true of our church today. Our one foundation and unity through the decades has been that this church has been built with Jesus Christ and his gospel as our foundation. We've had a variety of builders through the years, and they've all contributed to make the house of God that what it is today. 
We need the message from the brick is this though. We need to be very careful how we build our church. There's such important instruction given in this passage to ensure, to ensure that the church that is built, it's going to endure and that when it is tested, it's not going to be found wanting. We need to build really carefully on the foundation of Christ. And how are each one of you doing? How are we doing as we continue the work of Jesus? It's really interesting to look at the types of building materials that are listed here. Gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw. There's a difference in these materials. There's a difference in value and there's a difference in durability when these materials are going to be engulfed by fire. Because after a fire, only the the only quality, only materials there that are really likely to remain are gold, silver, and costly stones because they're high quality and they're enduring. And we need to be building a high quality and enduring building where the Spirit of God can dwell in His fullness. We need to build His church with the tools of His kingdom, not our own wisdom. And we need to build a church that's indwelt by His Holy Spirit. Our one foundation and basis of unity through all the decades has been that this church has been built on Jesus. We've got to ensure that that carries on. This is a message from the brick, your take-home challenge today. And if so, how will you actively respond to this challenge? Is there someone that you need to speak to who can hold you accountable for acting on this conviction? You know, flowing from this building analogy here, Paul reminds the church that as a community, they are the temple of God, the place where God dwells. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. The church made up of followers of Jesus is a sacred body. We are his people set apart for his use and for his presence. We are dwelt by his Holy Spirit. And you can understand then why it is such a serious and grave offense if anyone destroys, corrupts, or ruins this community of believers. And it's sobering to realize that attacks on the church don't just come from an outside enemy. But as Paul speaks about in this passage here too, churches can be corrupted or harmed or destroyed by jealousy and arguing and strife and division and being overly attached to human leaders. And those who destroy the church will be met by God's judgment. And it's a warning that is just as relevant for us today, that those who harm God's temple, not an actual building, but the community of believers who make up that temple, will answer to God for that. And I think that's serious enough to require a response from every single one of us. So I want to just give us a few moments now just to take some time to just search our own hearts and minds. It can be so easy to attach ourselves to people that we like and then to build up walls between those that we don't like. Let's ask the Lord in his grace to just bring to mind any words that we have spoken or actions we have taken that have deliberately caused harm or hurt or division or disunity to the body of believers here at Connect or beyond. Let's take some moments to recall, confess, 
and repent of these before him right now. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Father, we want to receive your forgiveness and embrace your promise to you of being washed pure and washed clean of our sins. So friends, in closing, I, um, I trust that God has spoken to each one of you personally Perhaps your message was from the milk bottle. Maybe you've been challenged to move on from milk to some solid food. Or perhaps as you leave, you're going to have the message from the plant where you've maybe been challenged to find your place of service in his kingdom. Or perhaps being convicted of being devoted to, to people, perhaps more than God. Allowed people, not Jesus, to be the center of your devotion. Or your challenges come from the brick where you've perhaps been challenged about the manner in which you personally are building his kingdom. With all the time and resources at your disposal, are you building where it is important? And will your ministry show lasting fruit for the kingdom? For all of us, how are we continuing the work of Jesus? We God's field, God's building, we belong to God. We don't belong to any person. We actually don't even belong to ourselves. We belong to God because we belong to Christ. And as we move forward now to a whole new season with a new leader as part of our team, may we remain ever committed to remembering that God gives the growth in his own field, that God is building his church as his own temple, that God has gifted his church, as the scripture tells us, with apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and that these men and women are there to serve you, and that we have the incredible privilege of receiving from God from many of God's faithful servants. We've got no need to narrow our allegiance to one human leader. What an incredibly rich inheritance God has given us with everyone, all of you you as well. And I want to conclude as Elle and the team come up here with the closing Two verses of that chapter, powerful words where he says, So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Lord, what an incredible inheritance we have in you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ. And Christ is of God. What a beautiful point just to say amen to. I'm going to ask Al to, to lead us in a closing call to worship, and I'm going to leave it up to Al to totally flow with the Spirit as to where that lands. But as the team's getting ready there, I would just love the privilege of being able to pray for us as the church, and I want to pray words from Scripture, some of the beautiful words that Paul used in praying for the church in Thessalonica and Colossae and Ephesus, but just want to pray these beautiful truths of Scripture over us as the temple of God in this place. That God would make you worthy of his calling 
and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. I pray that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I pray for your church family with a heart of incredible thankfulness, praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of glory, would give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Amen.